If you have a Bible, uh, open it up to 2 Peter chapter 1. We are uh, jumping into a new series that uh, we'll be in for the next uh, seven or so weeks. We've been setting it up for the last uh, few weeks where we've been talking about uh, gospel transformation. Where does change come from? How do we change? Give me my whiteboard, Stuart, and um, that's the blue board, but that's the whiteboard. Hang on, let's, can we clear that? I'm cleared on mine. I know, that's beautiful art, but uh, we're trying new technology. Are you guys impressed? Well, don't be impressed yet. We haven't done anything, all right? But in just a second, you'll be impressed. Um, So what we've been talking about for the last few weeks is how do I bring about gospel transformation? And so, uh, well, why don't you leave that up there, Stuart? Since we can't get it to work, we'll get it to work next week. You may remember this illustration uh, when we drew it on the whiteboard a few weeks ago. And that was that uh, every one of us in our lives kind of have this place called the promised land, the PL, that I'd like to get to. Areas of my lives that I'd love to see change. For some of us, it may be, you know, I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to get smarter, or I'd like to get better grades, or I'd like to find a relationship, or I'd like to get rid of a relationship, or I'd like to get better in relationships, or I'd like to lose weight or gain weight, or do something that's going to change to make my life what I always hoped that it would be, or to make my life what I dream it would be, kind of the promised land, because once I get there, then I'm going to get it. And what is it? Well, it may mean a lot of things for you, but a lot of times it's what motivates us to do what we do, the it. Oh, safari, that's what the it is. Someone closes in prayer. So the question is, how do we get to the promised land? How do we bring about change in our own lives? How do we experience that change? And what we talked about several weeks ago is, what seems to get in the way, what seems to be the barrier of change in my, real, in my life is me. That I am the equation or the part of the equation I cannot seem to change. And so I'm the very obstacle of keeping me from getting the very thing that I long and desire for. And we talked about how in the gospel, Christ brings about transformation. That in the gospel, transformation isn't something that we achieve, but something that's been achieved for us. When Christ died on the cross, He took all my sins upon Him. And in His substitutionary death, He died on my behalf. And in exchange for that, I was given the righteousness of God. And now when Christ rose again to newness of life, I too now can live a new life because now Christ lives within me. And it's such a radical change that we talked about several weeks ago that Scripture says that this life over here of in sin, unredeemed, apart from Christ, the Bible calls that death. It calls it no life at all. And what we talked about several weeks ago is that when Christ comes and brings redemption, it's such a radical redemption, it calls it life. Life for the first time. Matter of fact, it's such real life that that over there was no life at all. See, Jesus didn't come to fix me. Jesus came to give me a new me. Jesus didn't come just to try to clean up and make this old nature better. Jesus came to give me a new 
nature. Jesus came to make me a new creation, alive for the first time. So what we talked about was that real transformation, real change, Jesus is the creator of it, he's the sustainer of it, and he's the finisher of it. Christ lived the life I should have lived. He died the death that I should have died so that I can live the life in him that only he can live. It's finished. So last week, as we've been talking about that, Joel came in and said, so our position now, in light of this new gospel, in light of this new life, in light of this new me, is I stand firm in radical helplessness. Were you here for that? Some of you are. Okay, well, Jesus did it all. We're radically helpless. All right, Jesus. Good luck to you, man. What do y'all want to do the rest of the day? There's nothing to do, right? When I was in uh, elementary school, uh, it's funny because I was like a little bitty guy. Like, so I was so short that my junior high year, my dad and his best friend came to me and asked me if I wanted to go to jockey school. Uh, thank you. Some of you felt bad for me. So, <laughs> but I was always the last one picked at, uh, on the playground at recess time for kickball. And you know what's sad is if you've ever had this experience is, um, is you're going up to, you know, the power brokers on the playground you know, and you know who they are. Greg Dugdale was a power broker on our, he was the kid who shaved in fifth grade. Like, he, he would come in, and he'd be sweating, and he would do that right there, and you could actually see a hair under his arm, and you were like, he's a man. I mean, he, that, that qualified him to pick teams, you know. He had hair under his pit. And so, uh, Greg Dugdale would tell me, okay, look, you need to go to, here's your position. You see where left field is? And you're like, oh, left field? Come on, like nobody kicks a kickball to left field, all right? Because really in fifth grade, nobody could get it out of the inter- infield anyway, except for Greg Dugdale. Greg could kick it out there. He'd go, go to left field and then just kind of move 50 yards to your left. I'm like, Greg, that's out of bounds. He goes, yeah, you're going to be our out-of-bounds safety catcher. You know what that means? Go sit on the bench. We can handle this without you. Does that make you sad? Make me sad. Is that what Jesus is doing? Is that what Jesus is Jesus saying, look, I got this covered. I did everything for you. I bought you your redemption, your recovery. I'm living life through you now. Go to left field, hang a hard left, and just sit down. I got it covered. There's nothing you can add to this equation. Is that what helplessness means? Well, let's unpack it. Because I think you know internally, and I know internally, that the nature of how God created us, when he created us in his image, I wasn't made by God to be like God in the sense that I go to left field and hang a hard left. God created me for something much more. As a matter of fact, it beats in us, doesn't it? We want to know what our purpose is. We want to be people that have a reason for what we're doing here. And we don't want our reason just to be, you know, I clocked in my 40 hours, I got my paycheck, and I went home, and then one day I died. And on our tombstone, it says, he did it. He lived until he died. Oh, wow. All right. There's a model. Write a book about him. No, we don't know that. You know, we, what we want is a life that has significant purpose, power, sacrifice, victories. 
great heights and great lows, don't we? Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to dive into this. It says in verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. <laughs> there it is again. He, His divine power has given us everything. Everything. Well, let me ask you, what do you think everything means? Any suggestions? Everything. There was, uh, we, Renee and I have a friend who uh, was in kind of the restaurant business, and he uh, came to me one day, and he says, look, I'd love to comp you guys a night at my restaurant. And we were like, oh, really? Seriously? That's awesome. Like, and we're thinking, well, what does that, what does that mean? Like a 20% coupon or, you know, a 30% coupon? Because this wasn't just your typical restaurant. This was the kind of restaurant where when you order steaks, uh, that they don't come with anything. Like, you know, if you want, like, a salad on the side, that's another $15. That kind of a restaurant. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, you wanted to use a fork. There's an additional charge for that, sir. I'm sorry. Oh, you wanted a chair. Oh, okay. I understand now. And so, it's one, I mean, it was a pretty high-scale five-star restaurant. So we're sitting in there, and I'm thinking, uh, okay, well, you know, we're still looking at the menu kind of on, we're, we still have Randy and Renee eyes. Let me put it that way. And we're like, good Lord, you know, why is spinach that much, you know? And so we're limiting ourselves in our minds until we finally looked at each other and said, hey, it's free. And then we were freed. Uh, you know, yeah, bring us one of everything on the menu, please. We didn't get that extravagant, but we had, you know, we had all the appetizers, we had the dinner, then we had the dessert. I mean, we just, we loaded it up. And I'm thinking, I'm justifying this in my mind, that because nothing can be that free, all right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Like, that's free, that's awesome, but nothing can be that free. Like, we need to bring him a casserole or something tomorrow just to say thank you as a payment. But I'm thinking, I'm going to give this waitress, like, a tip, like, a serious, serious tip. So she comes back to the table. I said, I think we're ready to check out. She goes, great. And she goes back, and it's only then she realizes that we were guests of the owners and because he wasn't there. And she came back, and she was white, uh, kind of like a little bit afraid. And she goes, oh, I, I, I'm so sorry. I did not know this whole evening that you were guests of the owners. And I said, hey, that's no problem. You did a great job. You know, we're going to sing your praises. Uh, tell me what the ticket would be so I can give you a tip. And she pleaded with us, please don't give me a tip. Please don't give me, I cannot take a tip. That's how committed she was to fulfilling the wishes of the person that she worked for, that everything tonight would be free. Everything. Everything. What does everything mean? Everything. So what has Jesus given us? Everything for life and godliness. Is that for real? I mean, let's think about this, because what Jesus is saying is this new life that we have in Christ, that this new life that he's brought us into, that true living over here, one of the things that we have to understand about this life is that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. So if that's true, if that's true, if it's that radical that it's free in the sense that Jesus gives us it all, why don't I feel that way? 
I mean, I often don't feel like I have everything for life and godliness. I mean, what, why is it that often, not just feel that way, but I don't often live that way. That, yeah, I've got everything, whatever that may mean. I've got everything for life and godliness. You know what's funny is that I don't always experience that either. Really? I often feel like just the opposite. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Verse 4. Through these, he's giving us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So the first thing that Peter says is, we've got it all. Now he's inviting us into understanding what that means and how to live a life that experiences that we have it all, how to sit at the restaurant and order freely and understand the life that we've been introduced into. He says the way we do this is through the precious promises that we may participate in the divine nature. Participate in the divine nature. Let me say something just briefly so we understand. When I participate in the divine nature, as Peter is talking about here, it doesn't make more stuff true. It doesn't make something real that wasn't real. When I participate in the divine nature, it actually begins to reveal to me what's already true. It reveals to me what I have. Let me explain. A lot of times we as Christians are like people sitting on a pile of gold crying over our poverty. Watchman Nee put it this way. He said, we as Christians are often praying that God would put us in a room that we're already in. It's amazing when you understand that the key to understanding this passage is promises. How do we step into the promises of participating in the divine nature? You know, uh, promises or the power of promises really are not in the one who is receiving the promise, but in the person that's making the promise. If somebody promises something to you, the power of that promise being fulfilled is not resting on whether or not the one that receives it has the power to deliver it, but rather on the one who makes the promise, their power to deliver on that promise. Did you follow that? <laughs> that was kind of confusing, wasn't it? In other words, if I promise something to you and I have the power to fulfill that promise and I also have integrity to give you what I'm promising, then where's the power of the promise? In me. But where's the other power of the promise? I was with a friend on uh, Friday and we were having lunch and I asked him, so think of something that I could give you on Monday that would completely change your life. I said, imagine for a minute that I can give you anything you want. Imagine that I can uh, really blow out the sky, whatever you want. I'm not limited by anything. And I can make something happen on Monday that would change your life. And so we start laughing, and, you know, he starts listing a couple of things. I'm like, no, no, you can only pick one. And so he finally picks one, and I'm like, yeah, that would be pretty amazing, you know. And, I mean, it was like, you know, the Mount Everest of promises. And... I asked him this question. I said, so if you know that I can fulfill that promise, how would that change your life this weekend? If you know that's going to happen on Monday, how would that change your life on Saturday and Sunday? 
And he said, well, dude, it would change everything. Getting myself ready to receive the promise would take up my whole weekend. He said, we would, we would have a party. I mean, you know, I'd bring my friends over. My family would change everything we would do this weekend. I said, so in fact, what you would do is you would actively participate in the promise even before the promise was revealed. He goes, yeah, absolutely. See, when I begin to participate in the divine, when I begin to set my heart on the promise, it's not making something true. It's revealing what's been true all along. See, good deeds, and you hear this here all the time, good deeds don't get God to love me, right? Like, I can't get God to love me any more than he's already loved me through Christ. So good deeds don't get God to love me. What do good deeds come from? Good deeds come from the fact that I understand that I'm loved. But here's another aspect of it. When I do good deeds, it also reveals the depth in which the Father loves me. Like, you talk to our small group leaders here. It's fun because small group leaders talk about all the craziness of small group and you know, hey, we had this controversy in our small group, or, you know, we had this person come, and we didn't think they were going to make it, or we had this person who came to know the Lord, or we have, you know, this happened, but now God is really working. And after telling their story, almost all small group leaders will tell you this, but I think this small group was probably more for me than anybody else. See, when they stepped in to what God was calling them into, and they trusted the Lord and His promises, and they began to participate with what God was doing, what did God do? God revealed more of what was already true to them so that they could embrace it, participating in the promise. If that doesn't make any sense to you, let me appeal to this part of you. There's a show that I love called Storage Wars. Have any of y'all seen this? Wow, really? Nobody. Y'all need to watch more TV. Thank you, a couple people. You know, Storage Wars is the story of uh, all these different characters that show up at a storage facility. And it's a reality show where the storage facility, if you don't pay your bill on time, then they have, by law, the right to sell the contents of the storage facility. And so these these people show up to auction on the storage facility hoping to buy it and you know, and hopefully make money off of what's in it. But when they open the door, the rules are pretty clear. You can't go in. You can't touch anything. You can't move anything around. All you can do is judge the value of the storage facility from what you can see from the door, all right? Hence, storage wars, because now they battle over, do I see anything in there of value? They have to judge whether or not the storage facility may have value. They see a box over in the corner, what's in the box, or they'll see something covered, you know. Oh, what's that? Because they're all treasure hunters. And so they're auctioning on their hunch that something is in there of treasure. So the first half of the show is where they're cussing each other, you know, and, you know, they're fighting with each other to get the storage facility. And once you win a storage facility, you get to put your lock on it. The second half of the show is when they go back, open up the storage facility, and get to see what it is that they own, because they already own it. They bought it. And what's funny about this show is they're rummaging through, like, people's trash. Like, if you have a storage facility, you know what we're talking about. And, you know, and they're back in the trash, and then 
then one of the, somebody will push a, something open or open a box and go, good Lord. And right at that moment, that's when it cuts to commercial. You're like, because <laughs> you don't know what they found in the box. Because, you know, there's a part of you that's hoping that they're going to find, you know, like a stack of gold bars back there. Because if it happens to them, what does that mean? It could happen to me here, you know, that you want to see them experience something that's just so outrageous that it's entertaining. But Storage Wars is really similar to what we're talking about. Thank you. What does that mean? Christ has already bought for us the storage facility. He's already bought everything that is in this room. Our lives now are the invitation by the divine to come into the divine room and now begin to unpack the glory, the wonder, the magnificence of what he's saying is true, that everything I need for life and godliness has been provided for me. See, when we walk into the storage room, we're not fighting to get something. We've already got it. When we walk in the storage room, we're coming into the storage room now to unfold the wonder and the beauty and the majesty of what's taking place. Let's see what Paul has to say about this. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul puts it like this in verse 18. Ephesians 1, guys. You with me? (laughs) I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. Now, before we go on to talk about this power, do you hear what Paul just said? He said, I pray that your eyes would be open, that you would be able to see what is already yours, hope, riches, and power. And if you're confused about the power that is ours, he says that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rules and authorities and powers and dominions, and you can read the rest of what Christ did. Do you hear what Paul is saying? As believers, when we've been brought from death to life, when we've been brought from the old man to the new man, when we've been coming from the the nature of Adam now to the nature of Christ, and he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, we have hope, we have riches, and we have power. See, when we open our eyes, we're not making something happen. It's being revealed that something has already happened. Back, uh, maybe this will help us kind of connect Back in June, uh, there was an article uh, in the newspaper about a man who'd passed away uh, about a year or two ago. (laughs) We had a picture back there, Stuart. And uh, any of y'all recognize this guy? This guy, his name is is Max Meltzer. And uh, let me tell you his story. Max, who, uh, his brother passed away about two years ago. Max was unaware of this, uh, living on the streets in Salt Lake City, uh, and everything he possessed he kept in a grocery cart, not knowing that when his brother had passed away, 
His brother had willed to Max uh, his entire fortune, which was worth millions and millions of dollars. Well, the family uh, had no idea where Max was. They didn't even know if Max was alive. And so they hired a team of investigative uh, detectives to scour the country to look, look for Max. And finally, back in June, one of those detectives found him going down a street in Salt Lake City, pushing his, uh, his grocery cart with everything he owned inside, went up to him and said, Max, I think you need to sit down. And he, he sat down on the bench and literally said to him, uh, you have lived on the streets for the last time. Say goodbye to your shopping cart and everything you own because you are a multi-multi-millionaire. Put him on a plane and took him back to his brother's hometown to confirm to him that he had inherited millions of dollars. That's a crazy story, isn't it? What would we think of Max if when he got to his brother's house and he's hearing all the stories and he's listening to everybody talk about how much he owns now, all the properties that he has, all the homes that he has, all the bank accounts that he has, all the stocks that he has, everything that he has, and in the middle of the conversation, he stopped and said, do I have enough money to buy a plane ticket to Salt Lake? Well, yeah, Max, you, you got, man, you got enough money to buy a plane to fly you to Salt Lake. So if I needed to buy a ticket to Salt Lake for tomorrow, how would I actually do that? Well, Max, you, you got credit cards, you got bank accounts. So which of you could actually, like, buy me that ticket? Like, I, I just need a ticket to Salt Lake. What would we think of Max if finally they gave him a check and said, just sign the check, go get you a ticket. Why are you going to Salt Lake? I need to go back and get my grocery cart. What would we think of that? Isn't it crazy how many of us as Christians, we hear things like what I've just said this morning, and we think, Christ has given me everything I need for life and godliness. Okay. He's given me hope. He's given me riches. He's given me power. Okay. What is happening when we walk away from those kind of statements and they don't have any impact on our lives? What is going on with us when there's nothing in our life that adjusts itself to the reality of why you were sitting here this morning? I mean, in all reality, why are you here? Why are you at church this morning? If it's to come and worship the Lord, hear what the Lord is saying to you. If you are in Christ, it is finished. And he has given you the storage facility that is beyond your belief. Don't take my word for it. Let me read for you uh, a guy who is really, really, really old, which means he's got to be right. All right? It's Martin Luther who lived. He died back in the mid-1500s. He wrote this before he died because that was the kind of guy he was. (laughs) Y'all need to wake up this morning. Come on. Get me going. He was a scholar. He was a man who nailed the 95 Thesis uh, on the door, Wittenberg door. Y'all remember that? You don't remember that. You weren't there. All right, but, okay, you you know, if you've ever, any of you go to a Christian school, 
Did y'all have to watch the Martin Luther movie? You know, here I stand. You know that? Anyway. Amazing guy because he spent most of his life on the run, uh, was under a death sentence. The Catholic Church tried to kill him uh, because of the proclamation of the gospel that he made in his own life and in his writings. Uh, man shaped a lot of what we understand theology to be today. And listen to what he said about this very passage in Second Peter that I've just read to you. This is a passage the likes of which is not found in the New and Old Testament. Modern translation, there ain't nothing like this in the Bible. But what, he says, what is the nature of God that we should participate with him? It is eternal righteousness, wisdom, eternal life, peace, joy, and happiness, and everything good that can be named. Now, whoever becomes a partaker of the nature of God receives all this. Namely, he lives forever, possessing endless peace, pleasure, and joy, and is sincere, pure, just, and almighty against Satan, sin, and death. Therefore, Peter will say, as impossible as it is to separate eternal life and eternal truth from the nature of God, just so impossible is it to separate them from you. Whatever one does to you, he must do to God. For whoever would crush a Christian must crush God. Really? That this is the storage facility that we're being invited into? So what would Max do if Max was to receive with gratitude all the wealth that his brother left him? What would be a great example of living in the legacy of his brother? Wouldn't it be to use that money in a way that honored his brother? To use that money in a way that showed sanity and use and purpose? And that's like for us as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So not only have we been given everything, but we've been given everything so that we can declare his praises, so that our lives can point to him with purpose and with passion and with direction. So how do we do that? How do we participate in the divine? Well, that's what we're going to start talking about next week. How does your life reflect that? How does your life dance with that? How do you give yourself over to that participation? That's what we're going to be covering for the next couple of months. But I don't want to leave you hanging because one of the powerful ways the Lord said we can participate with the divine is what we're about to do right here. It's called one of the sacraments, the Lord's table. See, the Lord is beautiful because he knew what we were like. He knew what I was like. He said, I want to give you something that you can taste, that you can touch, that you can smell, that you can see. I want to give you something that you can hold in your hands and that you can participate in physically so that you will remember. Remember what? Remember that you've been bought with the price of the Son of God. And that price was to bring you from death and to bring you into life. To remember that the riches that we have in Christ that has brought us from the poverty of the life we had before Him. And also this table, he says, is for us to proclaim. To proclaim over my life of fear, to proclaim over my life of sin, to proclaim over my life of a shopping cart, 
But that's not me anymore. So we come to this table not just to remember, but also to proclaim that when we taste, we taste that we're not alone. That the Lord really is our satisfaction. And we are most, He is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. Let's pray. Lord, as we, uh, as we prepare ourselves to come to this table, we pray, Father, that you would open our eyes. That, Lord, you would open our hearts. Lord, you'd let us come and taste and see that you're good. Father, too often we live our lives as if we've not been given everything for life and godliness. We often live, Lord, um, as if there is no hope. We often live, Father, as if there are no riches, there are no resources. We often live as if there is no power. And so, Lord, we pray that as we come to this table, that, Lord, you'd remind us. Let us taste and know that, Lord, you have given us all those things. And you invite us to come and participate with you, to dance with you, to be in partnership with you and what you're doing in our lives and the lives of those around us and in this world. So, Lord, prepare us as we come, we pray.